Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, a show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodge, and joined, as always, by our resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? Tired. Yeah, you're you're really like you're very much on the in training part right now with the whole theologian stuff, among other things. Yeah, we've uh, summer's over. Uh, summer, summer is is just about over. I'm getting, I, I'm sure we'll, I'm getting ready to write my master's thesis, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point on the podcast. Yes, uh, I, maybe a year from now when I actually finish writing it. Um, I don't think I've mentioned on here that I took a, another job and moved, um, at least explicitly. Um, we talked about me not being in Oklahoma anymore. Um, right, right. So I'm down in Lumberton, Texas now, and uh, just got down here temporarily. And anyone who's ever, I hate moving. Anyone who's ever moved, I'm sure, relates yep. to that. Yep. It's just, there's just so much to do. And I'm trying to find a, get a house and, you know, all that fun stuff. And it's not part of God's good created order. <sighs> No, 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 no. It, God never intended for human beings to, to move. I firmly to pack everything in boxes. Believe that. It's yeah, and no. then, well, it's, you know, because I moved from Oklahoma and then I moved down here temporarily. And then hopefully at some point I'll get a house and move again. So it's a bunch of quick moves. So living out of boxes, yep. trying not to unpack too much, still working, trying to get office set up. And anyways, it. And it's more than I want to be doing right now at school and thesis on top of that. It's just, yeah, it could, it could be worse though. Um, I could be close enough to help you in all the moving and then you and I would both be suffering. Fair, so. fair. But you know, I want to point out for all those that are listening, just how much I love you guys and that I'm even writing and recording right now in the midst right. of everything going on but here we are trying to keep things going we've got creation stuff to talk about um in our last episode we we wrapped paul up it only took four episodes not bad uh yeah no not bad at all not bad at all uh and so we move on now to our next uh writer and uh text here in peter uh, with Second Peter chapter three, love this chapter especially for this topic because, uh, as we'll see, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, within the text to, I think, kind of clearly lay a lot of these pieces out. Uh, but then there's a lot of uh, a lot of references outside of this chapter to to other places. Okay, Peter. Uh, does a very good job here in this section of saying, go this way, go this way, go this way, go this way. Uh, here's how the cycle of what God's doing continues forward. So love this chapter. It's the only one of uh, Peter we're going to talk about uh, between First and Second Peter. Uh, and then we'll move on into John's gospel and then Revelation, I believe, are what we've got. And then I don't know what happens after that. We'll find out. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Neither do I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, After that, maybe we just I just close my eyes and point at one of the hundred things that I have on my notes about possible 
things that we can yeah don't lose that in the move discuss so it's it's on my computer it's uh which Spencer will give us a uh, reading, a dramatic reading of his 150 source bibliography for his master's thesis. Yeah, that'll be perfect. <laughs> uh, if you want uh, great content like the reading of a bibliography, or any of the other episodes that we do, or any of the other things that we've written on, yes, we have articles as well, bonus material stuff that builds on. Uh, or was kind of left on the cutting room floor of other episodes that we've recorded. You can find all of that at thinkingtheologically.org. We have a Facebook page connected to it, Thinking Theologically, and all that stuff gets posted there. Great way to be reminded of the stuff that we are doing. Uh, And, of course, we'd love to hear from you on Facebook or anywhere else for Spencer. And uh, our email, strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Uh, for questions, comments, future episode ideas. We're coming up, as we said, on the end of this kind of series of issues. Uh, And so it would be a good time for you to throw something out uh, that maybe you're really wanting us to discuss, and uh, maybe we can deal with those things in either an episode or uh, in writing. So we'd love for you to reach out to us in all of those ways. And if you have no suggestions... Uh, then we'll read. Yeah, you could you could just go through. You could live write. We could do a live stream of Spencer working on his master's thesis. Yeah. Uh, well, can you imagine that? That would be interesting. <laughs> uh, keep, just a camera pointed at your desk with all the books or open. something like that. Uh, Perfect. Help, help fund me doing this thesis. You, you know, speaking of my bibliography. Yeah. Uh, just a little side note: if you need something to read. You know, you're bored to have nothing better to do with your life. Uh, mm-hmm. Pick up a copy of John Mark's Hicks, Come to the Table, about the Lord's Supper. Okay. Uh, absolutely phenomenal work. Uh, and John Mark Hicks is a Church of Christ guy, too. Uh, but one of the best yes. books ever written on the Lord's Supper. It's a key book for what I'm doing with my thesis, because... I'm focusing on the Gospel of Luke, and he has a whole section on Luke Acts and the Lord's Supper uh, in his book. Uh, another fun fact, if you're a preacher in the Oklahoma City area or really anywhere and don't have a problem traveling. Uh, I am. Uh, <laughs> OC every year has a preaching conference, Kerygma. Uh, I believe it's in October yeah. this year. John Mark Hicks is going to be one of the keynote speakers this year. Yeah. Uh, talking okay. about, uh, we're talking about kind of, we're talking about new creation in essence. Um, we're talking about the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven, I think is the actual theme. Uh, so, right on. New creation, John Marks Hicks. Uh, could it get any better than that? Probably not. Um, October 18th through the 20th. There you go. If, oh, perfect. If uh, I can get anyone to come. There you go. OC should pay me for this advertisement. That's not going to happen. Yeah, well, yeah. Maybe take <laughs> no, a little off my happen. tuition. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we're getting into uh, continuing with new creation uh, with Peter, Second uh, Peter 3, uh, verses 11 through 13 are our main focus, but like we have with uh, the text of Paul that we were looking at, we're going to provide some uh, some background, some context, and all of that. Uh, to understand what's going on, because we're 
in this book, hopping into the middle slash ending section, uh, tying up what uh, the author has been trying to do from the opening chapter. Uh, and so we need to understand what's happening in those those openings. Uh, so Spencer, lay out the, the setting for us of uh, this book. Yeah, so as I think we mentioned this in the last episode, just how much we love context and setting and all that kind of stuff. So of course, that's where we begin once again. Uh, so Second Peter, what Peter is doing is he's encouraging a Christian growth perseverance and faithfulness in light of some false teachers uh, that are impacting these Christians in some way. Uh, you know, when, when we talk about setting and stuff, there's a lot less that we know than what we don't know. So we know that there are false teachers, but and we know a little bit about them based on some of the things that Peter says, but what all they believed, are they a part of the church? Are they outside the church and just have some influence on them? What's What does that look like? We don't know, but there's some kind of false teachers. And so in light of what they're teaching, Peter's trying to encourage these Christians to continue to be faithful, to persevere, uh, to continue to grow in the right direction. And the main thing that we get about these false teachers in Second Peter is that they deny the second coming of Christ. And so because of that, they seem to deny the existence of a judgment. So if Christ never comes, then there's not going to be a judgment day. Mm. Uh, and so because of that, I mean, you just kind of continue along that line of thinking. We can live however we want. And so in Second Peter, there's some harsh criticism of the way that these false teachers are living it's kind of like they're living very boldly in sin. Well, if Christ isn't going to return, we're not going to be judged. We can live however we want. And so because of that, Peter's concern is going to be to encourage Christian living, to encourage these Christians to continue to be faithful, to continue uh, to not go down the path of sin. And the reason he encourages to do them is in light of the certainty of Christ's return and the day of judgment. In other words, Peter is going to say, we can know for certain that Christ is going to return. And on that day, people are going to be judged based on the way that they have lived. So in other words, he's saying, in essence, that these false teachers are going to get what's coming to them, that they're not going to be able to live this way forever. Christ is going to return. Yeah. They are going to be judged. And so that's what's the future for the false teachers and so Peter's, in essence, going to say, if that's not what you want your future to be, continue to live faithfully. And so that's what he's encouraging the Christians he's writing to to do is to remain faithful uh, so that they are found faithful when Christ returns, so that they have a good result of the judgment that is to come. And so that's the context in which uh, the particular passage here in a little bit that we're going to look at that talks about new creation. But I think we... Hopefully you can already see how at least a discussion of heaven fits well into this theme of Peter talking about Christ's second coming in the day of judgment and the importance of remaining faithful. That's just prime to, okay, let's talk about new creation a little bit, which he does. That's why we're talking about it. Yeah. Uh, you can notice um, probably some of the similarities to 1 Corinthians 15 that we covered uh, in in length, you know, if there is no 
Uh, if there is no resurrection, that's the focus there. Uh, but again, very similar to to all of this. Thessalonians there's was no similar. Yeah. As, yeah, as you had some misunderstandings around. A little bit different, but we need to write an article on why this was such a big deal because it it does keep coming up. People denying the resurrection yeah. or. Uh, which is in essence what was happening in Thessalonica too, that maybe those who died don't get to partake. That would be a denial of the resurrection. Yeah. Um, yeah. If Christ doesn't return, there wouldn't be a resurrection. Interesting. Um, yeah. And so it, with all that, you have this live however you want. It doesn't matter. And second Peter is very much no, no, no. Those that do evil will eventually face justice and God is going to eventually uh, take care of the righteous as well. So pick, choose where you want to be, which side you want to be on here uh, and understand here's why it's better to be on the side of the righteous. And that's partly this discussion on uh, new creation and new heavens, new earth that he's going to get into. Any more thoughts on any of that before we move on to the actual text itself? No, I do not have anything else uh, regarding the settings. Let's just jump into the uh, text unless you have anything to add. Nope. Sounds good. All right, let's jump into the context of uh, the passage itself because we're only looking at a few verses specifically uh, and some of the words that are very important there. Uh, but really, the whole of chapter 3 is focused on this new creation idea, so we're going to run through it as best we can here, uh, noting some of the, the notable pieces, and then coming down to uh, verses uh, 11 through 13 here. All right, go ahead and start us out on the, the context of this new creation discussion. Yeah, here. so it, it, uh, we say this a lot. I'll say it again. It might be helpful if you have the time to read through all of Second Peter. It's not very yeah. long. It's three chapters, so it's a pretty quick read. Um, but uh, we're just going to be hitting some of the the highlights, some of the things that Peter says that's important for the conversation that we are having. Um, and as he fleshes out this importance of Christian living in light of Christ's return and the day of judgment. So uh, this is one of the first things that he says, which I think kind of almost works like a thesis statement. Uh, it kind of really describes the entirety of his argument. Um, verse 4, uh, Peter says, Thus he has given us, through these things, his precious and great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust, and may become participants of the divine nature. So there's a couple things there that I want to point out. Um Peter says that uh, we have received these precious and very great promises. These are the promises of Christ's return, of judgment, of, of heaven, of that whole um, eschatological, which just refers to end time things. That's kind of what Peter is talking about there. We have these promises of what's going to happen at the end of history, of what God is leading everything towards. So you can think of heaven, you can think of eternal life. Uh, later on in chapter 1 and verse 11, Peter actually uses the term eternal kingdom. So if you want to use the language of Peter, he's thinking we have these promises of an eternal kingdom that is to come. 
And these promises of this eternal kingdom, of the new creation of heaven that we're awaiting, uh, is so that we can escape from the corruption that is in the world. And so this connects to sin and evil in general. Uh, specifically, uh, I'm sure Peter has in the back of his mind these false teachers, uh, which has brought him to write this letter in the first place. And one of the things that I find interesting about that is that Peter says that we have the, the this hope, these promises to escape from the corruption that is in the world, not to escape from the world, but to escape from the corruption that's in the world. And I, I, I'm hoping that that's one thing that you've picked up on through our discussions. And I think that comes to a greater fruition when we look at the Gospel of John in the next episode, some of the things that Jesus says uh, about the home he's w preparing for us and things like that, that Scripture never talks about us wanting to escape the world. That's the way Christians talk about and the way that sometimes we want to twist some New Testament texts to say that. But Scripture never yeah. talks about us waiting to escape the world. But it does talk about us waiting to escape or to be freed from the evil and sin that's in the world. You, We, we talked about when we were looking at Romans 8, Paul likes this imagery of slavery, of being slaves to sin and death, and in Christ we've been set free. That's much more of a biblical image of that idea of being set free or escaping uh, is escaping our entrapment into the sin and the evil and the death that characterizes this world, not escaping the world itself, which is what Peter says. So we have these promises to escape or to be freed from the evil, the sin, the death that exists in the world, uh, to become participants of the divine nature. Uh, to me, that's one of the most powerful statements in all of the New Testament. I mean, we could do a whole episode on this idea of the divine nature. Um, in Greek, the word divine is just a derivative from theos, which is the Greek word for God. Uh, the word for nature is translated numerous times in the New Testament as nature, as species, as kind, which is connected to the idea of species. Uh, it's translated physically. Uh, it's translated as being. So it's the idea of us who we are, our nature, our kind, our physicality, our being. It's it's talking about our whole self. So the idea here is that Peter says our goal is for our whole selves, not just some spiritual part of us, not just some soul or spirit or something like that. We've talked about that that's not the way that the New Testament uses that word. It's not some true part of us that just inhabits our body, but we are full selves, body soul slash spirit and mind all together. And so Peter is saying that our whole selves, our whole nature, our whole kind, our whole being is to be caught up in God himself is for almost like us and God to become one. And I think this idea, especially since Peter alludes and refers back to Genesis all the time, Peter has to have in his mind the idea of us being created in the image of God. And um, we've talked about how we were created in the image of God to be God's representatives on earth. Sin has corrupted that image bearing ability. We no longer do it perfectly. 
I gave the, the image of a mirror. We're meant to reflect God. That mirror has become cracked. But Peter seems to be saying that the idea and our hope in heaven is to be caught back up in the divine nature, to be once again the full image bearers of God that we were created to be. And so even at the beginning of this letter, we see Peter bringing in all of these themes from creation, our image bearing, the evil and sin in the world, and connecting that to the promises of heaven that we're waiting for. Um, which is, again, that's kind of the thesis statement that he's going to continue to go is we have these promises to escape the evil and the corruption of the world and to be participants of the divine nature, to be caught up in the very nature of God by becoming the full image bearers once again that we were created to be. Yeah, so you have this hope that uh, God wants us to be able to escape again from the corruption uh, in chapter one, this overall statement uh, that moves into chapter two with what some of that corruption looks like, what God is doing with all of that corruption, what God has done. Well, not doing more done with that um, corruption and then what he will do uh, in the case of the false teachers and in the case of the the positive stuff in, in chapter three. Uh, so how does how does chapter two fit into all of this and uh, uh, not just the corruption part, but what you're going to say here about the the, the new creation part. Uh, what what story does he bring up uh, in looking at how things change in chapter? Yeah. Two? So in in kind of making this point about this this hope that we have in in essence, Peter brings all kinds of imagery together. I mean, he 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 talks about all kinds of stories from the Old Testament. Uh, and from uh, the New Testament. In chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, uh, Peter talks about Christ's second coming in, in the language of the transfiguration, uh, which uh, that would be an excellent topic at some point, uh, yeah, just to yeah. talk about the transfiguration. And, and I don't want to get too much into that, but you think about what happened. You have Jesus changed and you have these great men of the Old Testament there present as well that they can see to that they can they can the uh, Peter James and John can see this happening, can communicate, can talk, and so I think part of what you have at this transfiguration is you have an image of the transformation that we as human beings are waiting for in the new creation that we're waiting for in heaven, right? We, particularly with Paul, we talked about, you know, the resurrection body is what Paul is talking about. What are we going to be in the resurrection? How we're going to be similar, but yet different. There's going to be changes that are going to occur. Um, and, and I think you have the image of that in the transfiguration, which is why Peter brings it up is in the transfiguration. We get an image of that hope of resurrection, of transformed life, of this, life being participants in the divine nature, right? Because that's what Jesus is. Jesus is a human being who's participating in the divine nature because he's fully God and fully human. And so I've mentioned this before. The idea of Jesus being perfect is not that he could do everything perfect. You know, like he was the perfect basketball player. I think I gave that image. Probably not. 
uh, but that Jesus was the perfect human in that he lived in perfect harmony with God. He was a perfect participant in the divine nature. He perfectly reflected the image of God. And I think mm. we, we, we get the imagery of that no place better than in the transfiguration, which is why Peter brings it up to point to this whole idea that he began the letter with. Yeah, there's a there is a lot there that will probably be <laughs> maybe we found an episode. Add it to, I'm, <laughs> to I'm adding it to the list this. as we speak. Put it on the list. Uh, that's chapter two, and uh, along chapter two, and we'll mention some uh, events that are discussed there because chapter two is very much uh, dealing with some of these wrongs and these these corruptions is the 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 word we should use going back to chapter one verse four. Uh, but you have this uh, image from the New Testament here of here's what this change looks like, this uh, this thing that Jesus as a human is participating in with the divine and Peter then connecting it to to us of having that same kind of potential to, to look and be changed in that sort of way. That's the New Testament story. Uh, Spencer said that there are some Old Testament stories uh, that Peter draws on as well, uh, and he does this quite a bit, and deals with several of them. They have a common theme, <laughs> uh, and you'll notice this as we're bringing them up. Uh, Spencer, what are some of the Old Testament ideas that Peter draws on uh, in talking about uh, the new creation? So when we get into chapter 3, which is kind of the main focus of uh, what we're wanting to discuss, uh, Peter begins talking about how uh, well, he, he compares what will happen to the world when Christ returns, when the judgment day happens, uh, he compares what will happen to the world at that time uh, to what happened to the world when God sent the flood uh, back in Genesis. And so I, I want to read real quick uh, verses 5 through 7 of chapter 3. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul, Peter says, They deliberately ignore this fact, that by the word of God, Heavens existed long ago, and an earth was formed out of water and by means of water. That's a uh, allusion back to Genesis chapter 1. Remember, you've got the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. Um, yeah. Man, that's a whole other thing we could talk about, what Peter means by uh, yep. the world, the <laughs> earth being formed uh, out of water and by means of water. But uh, uh, that's a, another discussion for another day. Verse 6, uh, through which the world of that time was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the godless. So hmm. Peter says, by the word of God, the world was created. By the word of God, the earth perished through water, talking about the flood. By the word of God, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for in essence the same thing but this time it's with fire not with water uh, so the contrast is water versus fire but by saying by the same word peter is saying that in the same way the earth was created destroyed by water the earth the present heavens and earth are waiting for the same thing for destruction and creation by fire this time but notice it's hmm. both creation and destruction Peter says, by the word of God, water created and destroyed. 
uh, perished is the yeah. word that he uses in my translation, but they were uh, both destroyed, uh, created and destroyed. And by the same word, we're waiting for the same thing. So I, I think we might be right to say, Peter saying in the same way the present heavens and earth are going to be destroyed and recreated. Uh, that's probably up for debate, but that's at least an option interpretation. Uh, but I think sure. the more important thing is that uh, Peter says that water, through water, the earth perished during the flood. But it's obvious that the perishing of the world was not total destruction, right? The world didn't cease and God created a whole new world, uh, but it was a cleansing, right? The, the flood was a cleansing flood to cleanse the world of evil. The flood was designed uh, to kill or to punish the evildoer while sparing the righteous by sparing Noah and his family so that once the cleansing could happen, Noah and his family could inhabit the earth once again. And this connects with uh, statements that Peter makes about the flood in Sodom and Gomorrah uh, in chapter 2. So this isn't the first time Peter's mentioned the flood. But in chapter 2, Peter mentions the flood in Sodom and Gomorrah to prove that God has a history or a habit of destroying the wicked but sparing the righteous, right? God destroyed the earth with the flood but saved Noah. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah but saved Lot. God has a habit of doing that, and that's in what God's going to do. That's what Peter's saying. God is uh, going to destroy the wicked and spare the righteous when Christ returns again, and that's going to be through fire in the same way that God did it through water in the flood. So it seems to me that this is what Peter is saying. Again, the flood, the world perished, but it wasn't total destruction. The flood was cleansing, designed to punish the evil, but God spares the righteous to inhabit the earth once again. And it seems that Peter is saying that's what's going to happen when Christ is going to return. God, this time through fire, is going to cleanse the earth of evil, of sin, of death. But as God has the habit of doing, as we see in the flood and we see in Sodom and Gomorrah, when God punishes the righteous, he uh, punishes the, the wicked, he spares the righteous. And in the same way that he spared Lot and spared Noah to inhabit the earth once again, particularly Noah, the righteous, when Christ returns, are going to be spared from this fire, from the judgment of God, to inhabit the earth once again. And I think that connects with the idea, and we can debate to what extent, but remember what Paul says of us being caught up with the Lord uh, and then ushering him back in, ushering him back in to inhabit a recreated, a cleansed earth. Um, uh, Jack and I actually talked about this before we recorded the last episode of uh, when, when we go to meet him, is that when the cleansing and the fire and the recreation happens? And uh, I think the conclusion we kind of came to was, well, that's possible. Uh, we don't want to make either Peter or Paul say that because they're two different authors focusing on two different things. And so yeah. maybe, maybe not. Um, at minimum, if we wanted to say yes, that's not what Peter or Paul are saying, at least not explicitly, if we wanted to try and connect those dots. But you have the same idea of 
us inhabiting a recreated earth once again, which seems to be what Peter is saying by saying it's almost like what happened with the flood only better because sin will be completely done away with this time. It wasn't yeah. the first time. It was just, it was cleansing. It was judgment, but it wasn't a complete restoration. But what we're waiting for is complete restoration, which kind of connects with the very next thing that Peter says, but I'll pause there for additional comment. I'm um, not sure that I, I have any other than um, my immediate thought to what you were talking about is, uh, you know, there was cleansing the last time, but there was still with uh, Noah and his family this opportunity for corruption to begin again. Uh, but what we're talking about, and we saw, again, this language with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 of uh, incorruptible uh, discussion about bodies in particular, but extended here into the creation. Um, so without room for corruption another time. But uh, this goes into our next little section here, uh, as Spencer said, of uh, how, how do we know this this promise is one we can trust in, that it's going to happen, that it's going to work? Uh, what does Peter say about all yeah, that? Yeah, so the, we're entering into the very next verse. This is the next thing that Peter says. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud voice, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. And so Peter says, okay, in the same way, right, that the flood cleansed and the righteous were saved. That's what's going to happen when, when Christ returns. Yeah. And we have a certainty that, that that's what's going to, to happen. Uh, you know, he talks about a, a day being like a thousand years and a thousand years being like a day. In, in other words, it's don't give up hope. Right. It seems that especially when you read Paul, that the early Christians believed that Christ would return in their lifetime, which, as we know, didn't yeah. happen. Um, and so Peter's in essence saying, don't be discouraged that it hasn't happened, but be patient because God is patient because he doesn't want any to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. It's going to happen. Be patient, be faithful. But and when it comes, it's going to be like a thief. You're not going to know. It's just going to to happen. And when that happens, he says the heavens will pass away with a loud voice and the elements will be dissolved with fire. There's the fire idea that we've already talked about. It seems to be a cleansing fire like with the flood, not a total destruction type of fire. And then he says, and right. uh, the earth and everything that is done in it will be disclosed. So it it seems that, that Peter is saying that when Christ returns and these things happen, the heavens passing away, this fire coming, it's for the purpose of disclosing the earth and everything that is done in it. So again, we, we don't see the idea of destruction, at least not completely destruction. You get the idea of cleansing, you get the idea of judgment, 
you get the idea here of disclosing or exposing the evil and the injustice and the wickedness that exists on the earth and cleansing the earth of that. Again, connection back to fire. But once again, it's not when we actually look at what's going on here, it's not imagery of total destruction. It's imagery, it's imagery of cleansing, of making right, of restoration. Um, like when you burn a field in order to grow something new. Uh, that seems yeah. to be the imagery that Peter is capitalizing on, not some imagery of everything physical being destroyed and then us floating up in the clouds playing a harp for all of eternity. It's just not, right. it's just not there. Yeah. No, uh, nothing more to add, uh, to all of that. That's I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, and so how does, how does Peter start to wrap up this idea then, uh, after laying out, you know, here's how it's, here's how it's going to play out. What's going to occur. You've seen this before, uh, in, in a sense anyway. Uh, and we can know that it's for sure going to uh, work because of what that fire is going to accomplish in disclosing. Uh, and so what is the hopeful message that Peter leaves for us here? So this is what Peter says next. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of person ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Hmm. So we get this imagery once again of new heavens and new earth. We've seen the explicit reference going all the way back to Isaiah, and we see the same things that we saw in Isaiah here with Second Peter. If you haven't listened to the Isaiah one, I would encourage you to go back and listen to our Old Testament discussion of new heavens and a new earth. But again, think about, let, let's connect all these themes that we've seen, at least within Peter, together. He says that when the, when the day of God comes, the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire. So you have that cleansing fire mentioned once again. He says that's going to happen, however, in accord with the promises that God has made to us, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. So again, you don't have the idea of complete destruction. The idea is you have this fire in heaven on earth, but again, it seems to be the idea of, of cleansing, cleansing the world of evil so that we have a new heaven and a new earth. What does Peter say? Where righteousness is at home where there's no longer sin and evil and brokenness and injustice and death. All that's been done away with. That, that, that's the imagery of the fire cleansing. All that's done away with. All of that is pushed aside. And we have a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness is at home, where righteousness dwells, not all the things that currently dwell in the heavens and the earth. And again, that's a connection back to Isaiah, which is a connection back to Genesis of the original heavens and earth were created in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You have the corruption of sin. And so our hope is to return back to Eden, in essence, to return back to the beginning, for things to be restored to the way God created and designed them, where righteousness, rather than sin and evil and death, are at home in the heavens and the earth, where 
that uh, we I, I wrote an article on uh, the uh, on heaven and earth and them being kind of separated by this curtain, but yet overlapping and the hope for them to be brought together fully once again. And that's like with Isaiah, like with Paul, that is what that's the imagery that Peter is using here. Again, not of all of this being done away with, but all of this being restored to be a place where righteousness is at home. And you already alluded to our, our last point with that that comment there of, like Isaiah said, like Paul has said uh, in chapter 3, verse 2 here, uh, Paul, uh, Peter, I did it too, uh, Peter refers to uh, those prophets uh, that have uh, foretold about these things, uh, likely an allusion to these Old Testament prophets, people like Isaiah, uh, who uses the phrase, new heavens, new earth, the same phrase that Peter picks up on uh, throughout this section here. Uh, and then you have, I, I feel like there are a lot of passages within Second uh, Peter 3 that are known, you know, the thousand years is a day, um, but also the, the passage at the very end of uh, Paul has written about these things uh, that are hard to understand, that the, you know, unstable twist, uh, but that whole discussion there is continuing off of this one. It's verse 15. We just read through 13. If we were to keep going, we would see Peter say, Paul talked about this stuff too. A little harder harder to understand when Paul talks about it, but he has talked about these things. And then you have throughout, right, the connections to Genesis, both the flood, but even, you know, by water, through water uh, at the very beginning. You also have uh, the day of the Lord will come uh, like a thief in the night. And that being connected to the flood idea is Jesus's words in Matthew 24. And so you have all these connections to all of the uh, places that we've already walked on here in Genesis and Isaiah and uh, the Synoptic Gospels and Paul's stuff. Uh, and so in that way, Peter kind of serves as a, a point where all of these little pieces connect to, to show us that it's not Peter and Paul and or whoever just coming up with ideas on their own. It's this is the thread that they see uh, throughout uh, Scripture of what God's doing here and being guided by the Holy Spirit in the writing of these things. This is the thread uh, that they're pulling on. And in Second Peter three, we see those uh, pieces come together, or many of those pieces come together here. Spencer, anything else to to add before well, we close? Well, it, it's. Uh... Um, like you said, it's a, it's a theme. It's a thread that not only do, can we see, I mean, that's what we've been doing throughout this whole series, picking up on this thread, but it's a thread that the biblical writers see and pick up on, uh, Genesis through Isaiah, through Paul, through Peter, through, as we'll see J Jesus, particularly in John's gospel. I mean, it's, it's a thread. Uh, it's a theme, a major theme, the biggest theme, I would argue, in Scripture and important for a lot of uh, things. And we've done some some articles talking about the significance in other areas of Christian life that new creation theology has. Um, and the only other thing that I want to say real quick, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Uh, so uh, 
great. There, there you go. <laughs> uh, but it does have to do with, with Second Peter. Is that when, when you know, when Peter says that Paul uh, says some things that are difficult to understand, uh, that's the only place that Scripture talks about whether it's difficult or easy to understand Scripture. And Peter says it's not always easy. Yeah. Um, and so the, I, I just want to say that because sometimes we have the assumption that well. Scripture is is easy to understand. Um, I would argue that salvation, what it takes to be saved, is easy. Once you get past that, I think it gets real difficult. Um, and which is why it's important to study, uh, why why it's important to read and discuss with different people to get different perspectives so that we can learn from others, whether we agree with them or not. Uh, it, it'll help yeah. to expand our knowledge, why it's important to respect those that do this for a living or those that have spent a lot of time doing it. We have a, a tendency sometimes to want to discount the significance of study or of education or things like that. Um, normally built on, well, it's, it's easy. You know, I don't have to read anybody else. Education's not important, things like that. Yeah, not that you have to agree with someone just because they've studied it longer or educated or something like that. It probably means that you should listen. Um, you know, you don't, you don't always yeah. have to uh, agree with an expert in anything, but typically we like to listen to them. Maybe we go get a second opinion, but we do that because we listen to the first opinion, uh, at yeah. least. And so uh, that's a whole other episode, but I just wanted to kind of stick that in because it's a passage that we know but don't utilize for some reason. It's like, I feel like everybody knows that yeah. Peter says that, uh, but we don't actually listen to what Peter says sometimes. So That's part of what it is to think theologically, is that this stuff does take work to understand, but it is very much worth it uh, in trying to understand what is being said here, uh, because uh, these things that, that take the most work are, are the most uh, enriching uh, once you've spent the time with it and, and found those things out. Uh, so we'd encourage you to continue to stay along with us as we go through uh, the rest of this discussion and all the other discussions that we'll have uh, on the Thinking Theologically podcast. Be sure to go to thinkingtheologically.org for this episode and so many others and so many other written things uh, that we have there uh, for you to, uh, to think about and uh, look over uh, and aid in your study. Uh, we also want to encourage you to send us messages on Facebook or anywhere else uh, for Spencer if you want to get a hold of him. Uh, and of course, you can email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com for comments, criticisms, questions, suggestions for future episodes. That's all for today's episode on Peter and New Creation. We'll see you next time uh, as we start talking about John. <laughs>